0: Romans chapter number five, verse six. These are the words of Paul. He said, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having been now justified by his blood, We've been saved from the wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we have been saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the wisdom that was written by the hands of Paul that was sent to the church at Rome. Tonight, Lord, may we get a greater understanding, a deeper revelation of our relationship, our reconciliation, our righteousness, and our sanctification. Lord, help us to know that, Lord, it's not by what we do, but it's by what you do, and our faith and our relationship in you, and the finished work of the cross. We thank you for it tonight, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're good and glad to be back in the house of the Lord tonight. Last week, we talked about the benefits of being in Christ, the sanctification, the righteousness, how the Lord did not impute our trespasses against us, but yet he imputed his righteousness. We looked at where Paul went back and talked about the life of Abraham. He says, For Abraham believed God, and he accounted unto him for righteousness. For he can stagger not at the promise of God through unbelief, but yet in faith. He knew that God was able to do what he promised that he would do. We looked at the reconciliation, the relationship that we have in Christ, that there was no way that you and I could ever get to Jesus. So Jesus came to us. It is the most beautiful story of the gospel that you ever see. And Paul is so precious to be able to write these words Because Paul, as we learned in chapter 1 and chapter 2, never forgot where he came from. Paul was a debtor to the gospel, the power of God that transformed his life. He wanted to take that same gospel and give it to everybody else that could because he understood what a lot of the other people in his day didn't understand, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul wanted people to experience the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection for themselves. And so tonight we're going to continue to look In this passage and see just what the Lord is trying to say to us. Um, But tonight, I've entitled this message simply, All For You. All For You. I want you to know tonight, what Jesus did, he did it all for you. Listen, I, I know that tonight, oftentimes we think about what Jesus did for other people. But tonight... I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. I don't think this will do the scripture any injustice. I don't believe you should add to the scripture nor should you take away from it. But I don't believe tonight this will do any injustice tonight for you to forget about the whole world just for the next 25 minutes and I want you to think about you. Tonight, I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. Not your neighbor, not the person on your job that you've been praying for. Not the spouse that you wish would get born again. Tonight, I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. See, the thing is, is that we're humans. We're born in this earthen vessel, this jar of clay. Imperfect. We, we have flaws. We have frailties that are evident to everybody who comes in contact with a human. It, listen, it doesn't take you but just a few moments to get close to a human, And in the comparison of Jesus and the scripture, it's easy to tell that we're not perfect. We have faults. We mess up. We fall short. But in that, of all the things that the flesh produces, one of those things is selfishness. Now, I know there are some people that have a tendency to be more selfish than others And there are other people who have a tendency to be more selfless than others. A lot of that's going to depend on how you were raised and what kind of family you were in and things of that nature. However, I believe that as a default, most humans are pretty selfish. Why? Because when it comes down to brass tacks, an unregenerate person. Now I'm talking about a person who doesn't know Christ. Because how many of you know when Christ comes in, he does help us to to live a different life. We may struggle with the will of God, and we may struggle with doing right, but we at least have that desire to want to please the Lord. But a person who doesn't know Christ, they are inherently selfish. We're looking out for our own interests, right? How to survive. I mean, if we're a person who doesn't know Christ, we're a worldly person, when it came down to somebody else getting something or us getting something, most of us tonight, if we're 100% honest, we would, we would do what we needed to do to make sure we got what we needed. We'd make sure our family went first. We'd make sure, uh, you know, things like that. We got the promotion. We'd make sure that we got in the front of the line. I'm talking about apart from Christ, the human flesh is extremely selfish. We're, aside from the self-preservation, we're also pretty self-centered. We're pretty self-centered. We look out for our own interest. And that's why what Jesus did is so special. You don't think we look out for our own interest? We do. We do. That's how, why we have the the iPhone and the iPad, and we take selfies, right? And there's, there's uh, you know, all these different things that point back to the human person, you know, we tend to look out for our own selves. But when Jesus came to the earth, Jesus came total counterculture because he didn't have a sin nature. Even though Jesus paid the penalty for sin, he never sinned. I think we need to never lose grasp of that. And sometimes I think it's hard for us to reconcile the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Now, there were things that Jesus did like you and I. He ate meals. He slept. He drank water. He was in fellowship <clears throat> and relationship with people. But yet there were other things in his divinity that he did. And listen, he, though he was fully God and he was fully man, and though he walked as a man, he never sinned. What that means is, is he, he never got angry to the point of sinning. You say, well, Pastor, I thought being angry was a sin. No, being angry is not a sin. There is a such thing as righteous indignation. The Bible says in James, be angry and do not sin. When Jesus flipped the tables over in the temple when they were selling the the, the turtle doves and pigeons and the ready-made offerings, he was angry. Jesus, um, you know, didn't sin. He didn't... uh, think harsh thoughts towards people. He wasn't impatient towards people. He didn't do those things. He was pure in all of his ways. So yet when he came to this earth, I want you to notice this. He did it all for us. Think of the agony of the cross. One of the most brutal forms of death the barbaric Roman crucifixion. That was literally one of the most horrific ways to die because everybody thinks about the spikes going through the hands. But you know, it's not the nails that went through the hands and feet that actually killed. And actually, scientifically, the way that they put the nails and the spikes in the hands and the feet, yes, they hurt and it was excruciating, but it was not uncommon For a person to hang on that cross all day, it wasn't immediate death. What Jesus actually died from, yeah, they put the spear in his side, but it was asphyxiation. It was the the struggling to breathe because every time he would would pick himself up to try to breathe and slump back down on that cross, he would come down a little bit further until they wanted to make sure that his body was taken off the cross before the Sabbath. And so they took that spear and they shoved it in his side, bursting forth both water and blood. But I want you to think about the moments that got to that place. How many of you have ever been stressed before? Don't lie. It's not a sin. I mean, you know, to be human, we shouldn't be anxious and live in a perpetual state of anxiety. The Bible does say be anxious for nothing, but in everything, give prayer and thanks to God. But, you know, there are times when we get moments of stress, We may be stressed about the bills. We may stress about our budget. We may stress about um, a work situation. We may stress about a stressful marriage. Maybe it's on the rocks. It's kind of funny. Somebody messaged me this week and they said, tell me about this marriage on the rocks group. I said, it's not marriage on the rocks. It's marriage on the rock. Hello. It's a difference. Here's a difference. Maybe it's stress about a marriage Maybe it's stress about a wayward child. But I don't think anybody in this room's ever stressed to the point to where you sweated drops of blood. But do you know that in the day before Jesus was crucified, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was there, <clears throat> and the Son of God and the Son of Man were wrestling together. Yeah, you heard me correctly. The humanity of Christ was wrestling with the deity of Christ because he knew not just the pain of the cross, but he also knew what it would feel like to bear the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. And the disciples were jockeying for positions. You know this, right? Do you remember, do you remember when, the, when the woman was trying to get in with her sons and she said, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, when you come in your kingdom, who's going to sit on the right hand and, and who's going to sit on the left hand? And, and, and Jesus makes it very plain. He says, uh, are you willing to drink the cup that I drink? Are, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with. And he wasn't talking about the baptism of power. He was talking about a baptism of suffering. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled. His disciples were present, some of them. Jesus was going to pray all night. When his disciples got sleepy-eyed and he says, can you not tarry with me just for one hour? Can you not just give me one hour, guys, of prayer? For the spirit is willing, but indeed the flesh is weak. And then all of a sudden Jesus is there and he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Which, by the way, Gethsemane means the place of crushing. It was an olive press. It was an olive grove. It was a place where they were used to harvesting olives. And those olives would be ground and crushed until that precious oil would flow from it. Jesus finally, at that moment, what did he say? He said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. At that moment, Jesus was willing to drink that cup of suffering. And it wasn't but moments later. There was a rustle and a bustle in the bushes, and here comes some men. Because Judas... His beloved disciple, whom he chose, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And there, Jesus was taken. He was taken, given that cross, and they marched him up Calvary's Hill. Think about it. Remember, we're not talking about everybody else today, we're talking about us. He took that cross, the same cross, by the way, that he told his disciples. If any man desire to follow after me and be my disciple, he must pick up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Jesus took that cross, and they whipped him. They scorned him. They spat on him. They, they blasphemed. They said, if you're the son of God, save yourself. You know the story, they hung him on the cross, they they put two thieves between him, they put a crown of thorns mocking him with the inscription above him that says the king of the Jews. And you know, they took his beard and they ripped it out, they beat him beyond recognition. I want you to imagine the pain Jesus went through. Not for your neighbor, not for your wayward child, for you. That's what Jesus went through for you. Can you imagine the selfless act of crucifixion? Now put yourself in Christ's place. How many of us would do that for people we didn't know? How many of us would do that for people who had done horrible things, but yet Jesus did? And that's where I want us to get to in our text tonight. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Let's read it again together. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But notice this. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having been justified by his blood, will we be saved from the wrath through him. For if then we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we've been saved through his life, by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. If you're taking notes tonight, I want you to look at these three little simple points that I've pulled exegetically from this passage. The first one I want you to see, number one, I want you to look at the sinner's condition. This is the picture of each and every one of us before we met Jesus. We were lost, we were undone, we were broken, we were deserving of judgment. Here's the word I want you to get tonight. Here's the word that Paul Uh, has attempted to tell us over the last four chapters we were guilty. We were guilty. Hear me tonight folks. Not one person in this room was born saved. You weren't born saved. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. We, we were all destined for judgment. I want you to think about this. Not your neighbor, you. You. Heaven is not man's default destination. Jesus said, narrow is the, is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be it find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go therein. You and I, before Christ, we were guilty. The sins that we had committed, we were guilty as charged. We did them. Those sins demanded a payment. Those sins demanded a penalty, and with it was a life penalty. God's penal system is different than ours. You can't pay a fine and get out of it. Some religions teach that, called penance. You can't buy your way out of hell. You can't bargain your way out of it. Listen, we were guilty. The Bible says we were without strength. While we were without strength. What does that mean? We were without strength to change our condition. An old parable says that a leopard cannot change its spots. And a sinner cannot change his ways. A sinner is destined to die without a Savior. We were guilty. We were without strength. But he goes a little bit further than that. This is difficult for us to grasp. But I want you to see this. Verse number 10 says, For if we were enemies, then we were reconciled to God. Listen, we weren't just lost. We weren't just without strength. We were enemies. Am I in the book tonight? We're not anymore. But we were. God still punishes sin. We were. We we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. But listen now, as we see this, we were destined for wrath. I think people have lost the fear of the Lord. We've lost the, the weight of eternity. That when a man or a woman, they take their last breath on this planet, they are either going to heaven or they're going to hell. There are billions of people upon this planet. And those who don't know Christ, they are lost, they are guilty, they're separated. But I want you to see the second thing tonight. I want you to see our Christ's compassion. I want you to see Christ's compassion. Because notice here what Paul writes. He said, For scarcely will a righteous man will, for a righteous man will one die. But perhaps for a good man, someone would dare to die. But look at this. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You need to see that. Christ was holy. He is holy. But in the, in the sense of his death, he was holy. He didn't deserve to die. It wasn't his part. It wasn't his parcel. That punishment belonged to us. But God in his infinite mercy, God in his compassionate heart, he demonstrated his love for us. Notice this, in a while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Now, isn't this great? It's good news. Now, I know some people want the good news before they get the bad news, but listen, listen. We got to know you're sick before you need a doctor. And people are going around telling everybody, you're all right with God. Everything's great. Everything's cool. Everything's hunky-dory. That's not what God thinks about sin. It's not what he thinks about a reprobate life. He says, I want you to turn to me. Listen, if Christ... And the church is the epitome of a marriage according to Paul in the book of Ephesians when he talks about our relationship with husband and wife. Then listen to me, when we come to Jesus, it's not pray this prayer real quick so that you can get your name written down in the book of life. No, no, no. When a man and a woman stand at an altar to get married in holy matrimony, What they're telling each other is, I am losing and laying down every other chance for any of the other billions of people on this planet. You are my one and my only, and I commit myself to you. I'm walking away from every other lover, and I'm choosing to love you and only you. That's salvation, my friend. Not, hey, pray a prayer and go back to your adulterous life. Jesus wants us to turn and and follow him. Now this is great because notice he demonstrated his love. What did God's demonstration look like? It looked like pain, it looked like suffering, it looked like bearing the weight of the penalty of our sin. It was the agape love of God. God demonstrated his love. What kind of love? Agape love. It's, it's the God kind of love. It is the love without limits. In, in other words, notice what Paul said, while we were yet sinners. See, this beats down the idea that I'll just wait to come to the Lord when I'm good enough because he won't accept me as I am right now. No, 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 no. That's not the case. God will accept us. Jesus will accept us as we are when we come to him. If you're an adulterer, he'll accept you. If you're a tax collector and a thief uh, in that nature, he'll accept you. Come on, if you're a whoremonger, he will accept you. But the great thing about grace, we're saved by grace, amen. Paul said in Second uh, in Ephesians chapter uh, number two, verse eight and nine: For by grace are we saved through faith. But listen, we teach a lot about grace, but we leave out the grace scripture from Titus, which Titus says the grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and to look for the blessed hope and the return of our Savior. God will accept us as we are, but praise God, he won't leave us as we are. He wants to change us like he changed Paul. He wants to change us like he changed Peter. And we couldn't do that ourselves. So God demonstrated his agape love towards us. What does that mean? He looked over He looked over our condition. He didn't say, well, they're not worthy. Pastor Brad's not worthy. Pastor Jose's not worthy. They're they're too bad. No, no, no. He didn't do that. He stepped in and he paid the price. Why? So we could be reconciled to God. Reconciled. You know what reconciled means? It means to be brought back together. Next week, we're going to look at that in depth because the Bible, Paul begins to talk about in Romans chapter 6, this man named Adam who in the garden had an assignment. And in that assignment, he messed up his assignment. But Adam's mess up didn't thwart God's plan because God sent somebody called the last Adam. And his name was Jesus. And the last Adam fixed what the first Adam messed up. Why? Because we needed to be reconciled to God. Right? We needed to be reconciled to God because we were separated. We were separated. Praise God, I want you to look at this. We see the sinner's condition. We see our Christ's compassion. And number three, I want us to look at the, the saint's conversion. Look at this. Oh, this is so great. Verse 10, for if we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having, uh, right here, much more having been reconciled, we've been saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The saints conversion, look at this. We were disconnected, but now we have become connected. Paul says we are in Christ Christ. But if we're going to be in Christ, we got to recognize that at one time we were out of Christ. And in that separated state, we were in God's penal system. We were facing the full penalty and weight of our sin. But Jesus stepped in, and his compassionate heart and his holiness demonstrated love and reconciled us so that now when we were disconnected, now we become connected. But he doesn't just stop there. Not only were we disconnected, but we were also spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. You know, in in Genesis, God created Adam in his image and in his likeness, and God created man from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. So what we see when we look at this is we see that man was alive unto God. And God gave him boundaries, gave him rules. He said, Adam, here's the garden. I've made it for you. I've given you this woman to be your helpmate. You can eat of this and you can eat of that. And There's two trees that you can't eat of. You can't eat of the tree of life and you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam ate of the tree by virtue of Eve's deception. He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened is the serpent tempted him, said, Hey, if you eat like that, you'll be like God. Your eyes will be opened. But God had told him, If you eat of this tree, you'll die. But the serpent said, You won't die. You're not going to die if you eat of this fruit. But well, let me ask you a question tonight. When Adam and Eve partake of that fruit, the Bible says their eyes were opened. And they saw that they were naked, and they hid themselves from the presence of God. But did they fall over and die? No. Now, they eventually died. Man's body wasn't created to die. It took hundreds of years for it to figure out how to finally die. But what happened when God said, if you eat of this fruit, you will die, they did die. They died spiritually. Their spirit was alive to God, and they died spiritually. Spiritual death. It's a horrible thing. People who experience spiritual death without regeneration, the Bible tells us in in the book of Revelation that they are destined for the totality of the second death, which is the lake of fire, which burns for fire and brimstone forever and ever. But God saw man's dead condition and did not leave him that way. In Christ, through the cross... Through redemption, he offered a way for us to be reconciled to God so that when man would come to Christ and put his faith or her faith in the finished work of Calvary, knowing that they can't earn their salvation, that is by grace through faith in the relationship of Jesus dying in their place, he gives us eternal life. We were disconnected, now we were connected. We were spiritually dead, now we are spiritually alive. Paul then goes on to say that we were justified. He said, not only then, if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, notice, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We were disconnected. We were spiritually dead. We were guilty and we became justified. And ultimately, we were reconciled. Remember now, we're not talking about everybody else. We're talking about you. Jesus did this all for us. All for us. Now, if you want to nail down why Paul was so passionate about preaching, if you really want to nail down why Paul was so passionate about people living for Christ and dying to themselves, it's because Paul never lost sight of this. He never lost sight of it. and Folks, I believe that a key to us having fervor and passion to reach people for Christ is for us not to forget where we came from. You know, we can forget. I don't want to get into it tonight. But on Sunday, I'm talking about this. Because David had fallen into disrepair in his relationship with God and committed unspeakable things. The prophet Nathan came to him and, and, and spoke some truth into existence, into his life. Psalm 51 was birthed out of that. And David said, create me a clean hands, pure heart. You know that. But then <clears throat> David goes on to say this. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And then sinners will be converted. And I will teach transgressors your ways. Sometimes we get so far from where we started from that we forget where we started from. The other night, I was able to share my testimony with a guy who was asking me a little bit about my life. And I told him how I came to Christ and how I was called to preach. And I couldn't help but tears well up in my eyes because for a moment, listen, you... You don't waller in your testimony. You don't waller in the old person you used to be. You don't brag about it. But you know, I don't think you should just forget all about it. Because your testimony is where you came from. Every every product should have a good salesman. And if you show up at my door trying to sell a vacuum cleaner or something like that, you better convince me good. Because the last thing I need is, yeah, I can go to Walmart and buy a vacuum cleaner for about a third of the price cheaper than what you're trying to sell it to me. What's this thing do special that mine don't do? And I feel like it's that way with our relationship with Jesus. We get so far away from where he brought us from, we don't really tell anybody our testimony. We just say, well, you know, you should come to church and whatever. But if we really told people where Jesus brought us from and where he brought us out of, and we would never forget the the hell that we were destined to and the heaven that we're destined for, we'd have a little bit more passion to tell people about Christ. Because God wants to take the selfishness out of His church and make us selfless. Where we share our faith. You say, well, Pastor, I don't want <clears throat> to tell them about Jesus. It might push them away. They're already away. If they're not saved, they're not going to heaven. They're already away. So why don't we put our pride aside? And why don't we put our reputation aside and live for eternity because eternity is all that matters.